2 John, 2 John in your Bibles this evening, and we're going verse by verse uh, through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John this year. This is meant to correlate uh, with our theme, Love Works, and we've been looking at a top, topical series on Sunday mornings and verse by verse expository on Sunday evening, and we're letting the Word of God emphasize uh, for us the truths in the Scriptures, and we're doing our best not to hobby horse preach or take things out of context, but line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. What does the Word of God say, and where is the emphasis there in Scripture? And we want to put the emphasis where God has put the emphasis. So we made it all the way through First John, and now we'll start Second John. Second and Third John both are very short books, one chapter apiece. And Second uh, John, I believe, has 13 verses in it. And so we're going to look at the first half of the book this evening. We'll be in the first six verses. Once you've found that, if you would please stand for the reading of God's Word. Second John, uh, verses 1 through 6. The Bible says there, The elder, that's speaking of John, unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I write a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that, as ye heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. The title of the message this evening is Balancing Truth and Love. Are we balancing truth and love? There are two Christian doctrines. There are two Christian attributes. Uh, they're opposite sides of the coin from each other. And boy, we need to learn how to keep them in balance. If you can learn how to balance truth and love as a believer, what you'll end up doing is being a Christian who is very much like Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to take what we hear tonight from your word, the preaching of your word, and evaluate where we are in our own lives and hearts and be willing to make the adjustments necessary. Thank you, Lord, for all of those that have come out tonight, those that are watching online. Lord, we pray that every... Uh, word that is spoken, every word that's preached tonight, the spirit by which it's preached would please you. And Lord, not only that I would uh, be submissive and, and yielding to what you would have me say, but Lord, that each one here listening would be yielded and submissive as they listen. Lord, take the message and impress it to our hearts and our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. If someone were to ask you, what is the key to living a respectable life? What would you say? What is the key to living a respectable life? Um, let me read a couple Bible verses for you here out of the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 11 verse 1 says, A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A false balance, an out-of-balance life, is abomination to the Lord. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 23, words it this way. Diverse weights, or various weights, varied weights, are an abomination unto the Lord, and a false balance is not good. A false balance is not good. So these two verses, Proverbs 11.1 1 and Proverbs 20.23, 20, and there are other verses that say similar things, seem to indicate that God cares very much that as Christians we live lives that are in balance. If a Christian can figure out how to find balance, he will be well on his way to earning respect with both God and man. Uh, uh, he will be well on his way to being respectable 
in the sight of God and man. So life is uh, uh, life is a test of finding balance. I, I know when I'm going on a long trip on the highway and I've got the car there and I'm riding down the road, I've got the steering wheel and I'm constantly making micro adjustments to keep my car in the center of the lane there. You ever been behind someone? You've been driving late at night and their car is kind of weaving all over the road and you think that guy is either drunk or he's falling asleep behind the wheel. I'm not sure which one it is and his car is not in balance. I know there have been times I've driven older cars back when I was driving clunker type cars and I let go of the steering wheel and it would immediately veer to the right or to the left. My car was out of balance. I had one car where I had to hold the wheel like this in order to get it to go straight. Uh, and my wheels were really bad on that uh, particular car. And um, uh, some people live their life that way, where their life is just out of balance. So learning how to have a balanced diet. Oh, pastor, you had to go there, didn't you? Uh, how to have a balanced diet. Learning how to eat food uh, that would help you be balanced. How about this one? Learning to have a balanced work life Versus home life. Work life versus home life. Some of you here are bachelors and you can work all you want and you don't have, you're not held down by anything or anyone and you know, you can get up and go whenever you want and do whatever you want. And, uh, but to those of you here that have a wife or kids, boy, you can't just work all the time, can you? Uh, you have a spouse and you have kids that need you. They need you to be around. They need you to be present in their life, and they need you to balance that work life and home life. If you want to get in trouble, men, if you want to get in trouble with your wife, just start working too many hours. And you'll start to hear pretty quick about how you need to back down how much you're working. How many of you men know what I'm talking about this evening? You can relate with me, okay? Um, and so we have to make sure we keep that in balance. Uh, how about this? How, how, keeping balance in our political opinions. I get around some of you. And man, I can tell what you've been doing all week. You've been watching the news. You've been listening to talk radio. And I get around you, and I mean, it's just, ah! It just comes pouring out of you. Hey, you know what would be good is if we kept our political opinions in balance. I, uh, I have three words for those of you that are addicted to politics. You ready? God is sovereign. You know what that means? That means no one's going to be in charge of this country unless God allows it to happen. So you just need to calm down. You, but we need to... And Christians need to... I get all of that. I get all of it. God is sovereign. Amen, Pastor Mike? He, Pastor Mike preached that for us a couple of months back. It was an excellent sermon, by the way. God is sovereign. We need to keep our political... Opinions in balance. It's okay to have them. I heard someone say that opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got them and they all stink. <laughs> Be careful running around expressing your opinions. Um, how about this one? Uh, we need to be balanced with our exercise. I see people on both ends of this extreme. Some people, the only exercise they get, they do one sit-up a day. Half a sit-up when they get out of bed in the morning and the other half when they go to bed, go back to bed. Right, And uh, the heaviest thing they lift every day is uh, their spoon loaded up with ice cream going into their mouth. That's, that's their idea of lifting weights. And, but then there are people on the other side of the spectrum. And have you ever seen these people that like to run? Running is a cult, man. You've seen people that run? They run and they run and they run and they run and they run. And you know what? You have to be careful about running too much. Uh, I don't have that problem. I don't run enough. But people on the other end of the extreme that run too much, what will end up happening is they blow out their knees and they mess up their tendons and uh, they, they, they can really, really mess themselves up. Uh, I know a pastor in uh, the Bronx, New York, who ran and ran and ran and ran and ran and now he's having to go through all these surgeries and he's in bed and he's in pain all the time. Why? Because the exercise, our physical exercise, needs to be kept in balance. People who live lives that are out of balance bring upon themselves and those around them stress and anxiety. They generally live lives that are erratic. They're lives that are all over the map. Did you know that when it comes to good Christian attributes, God has called Christians to balance those attributes? 
Too much emphasis on any one Christian attribute becomes a bad thing, becomes dangerous. God has called us to balance truth and love. Truth and love. As we will see, everyone has a natural leaning toward one or the other. One or the other. By the way, in the Old Testament, God is called a God of mercy and truth. Mercy is a form of love. In the New Testament, Jesus is called grace and truth. Grace and truth. Uh, I love the switch from mercy. That's giving someone a little bit of slack when they mess up with the law to grace. Let me help complete the law. Let me help fulfill the law. But both mercy and grace imply love, imply compassion and care, a balance. God the Father and God the Son have this idea of truth and love in balance. Truth and love uh, in balance. Now, first through third John, yeah, a little bit of history on the books here before we move into uh, the, the verse-by-verse study. First, second, and third John were written by the Apostle John, right? The one that wrote the book of Revelation, the one that wrote uh, the Gospel of John, the one that laid his uh, head on the chest of Jesus at the Last Supper there, the one whom Jesus loved, the one that was there at the... Um, uh, at, the one that was there at the cross, at the crucifixion that we looked at this morning, where uh, God, uh, or rather Jesus hanging on the cross, assigned him to take care of his mother. That, that John, John wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and most likely these books, these epistles, were written to little house churches, house churches that existed in the suburbs or the outlying area around the city of Ephesus. And First uh, John is the most detailed book. Second John, we'll look at Third John here in a couple of weeks. Second John was written specifically to help these churches balance truth and love. Uh, help these churches know how to identify apostasy coming into the church and how to take a loving but firm stand against it and how to break off apostasy and apostate false doctrine teachers away from the church. The book is broken into two sections. In this message this evening, we will focus on the first six verses of the book. Next week, we'll look at the second section that deals with the purity of the church and how to avoid false doctrines and false teachers from slipping into or becoming part of the church. We will look at that next week. All right, tonight, let's consider four thoughts, four thoughts about the importance of balancing truth and love. All right, notice point number one tonight, our cornerstone for truth, our cornerstone for truth. Look down at Second John and verse number one. Second John and verse number one. The Bible says there the elder. Now, who is the elder? The elder is John. John is the elder. He is the one that is the apostle writing the letter to the church unto the elect lady. Now, some have read this and speculated that John was writing to a specific woman inside the church, but what I think is probably far more likely is that John is addressing the church as a whole in the female sense. When I was um, uh, in transition to be your pastor, Pastor Pezlike was still the pastor, and I was making my way up here. He and I had several phone calls, and one of the things he told me, and I had heard this from the pastor I worked for in Maryland, and I had heard this in college, one of the things that Pastor Pezlike told me was that a church body corporately has the temperament of a female and you know what i found i found that to be very very true very very true and that corporately as a whole the church acts as a female would uh traditionally in a marriage and uh you you hear america referred to as a her or in the female sense and maybe you've had a nice car and you say isn't she pretty right uh, the church is the bride of Christ. And so I believe, I believe that John here is addressing the church in the female sense. Look back at verse 1. The elder, the elder unto the elect lady and her children. So the church corporately and then the individuals that make up that church, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. Now, who is the cornerstone of truth. Who is the cornerstone of truth? Jesus is. And the Bible tells us in the book of Acts 
that the church was purchased with his own blood. The Bible also tells us that Jesus is the cornerstone of the church and that the apostles make up the foundation of the church and we are lively stones that are built up upon that foundation. The cornerstone for truth that is a tangible thing that is present in the life of Christians today is the church. Is the church. Where am I supposed to go to find truth? I'm supposed to go to church. I'm supposed to go to a place where God's Word is held high, where God's Word is accurately taught and preached, and I'm challenged to live this. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Timothy. That's just a handful of books over to the left there. 1 Timothy chapter number 3. It would be before the book of Hebrews. 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you get to Thessalonians, you've gone too far. 1 Timothy chapter 3. And look at verse number 15. You say, I don't know, Pastor. I think you might be stretching this idea of the church being the cornerstone for truth. Well, let's let 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 affirm that. The Bible says, but if, this is Paul speaking to Timothy, but if I tarry long, 1 Timothy 3:15, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. This is why it is so important that you are a part of a church that has its doctrine right. Listen, what we have here at White Oak Baptist Church is rare. You all understand that? This is rare. Most pastors in America in 2020 will not stand up and preach the hard parts of the Bible. You know why? Because it isn't popular. It isn't popular. It isn't popular for a pastor to stand up today and say that the, the unnatural affection between two men or two women is a sin. It's not popular. But it's in the Bible. It is not popular for a pastor to stand up and say that marriage is to be between one man and one woman for life. It's not popular for a pastor to get up and say that abortion is a crime against a child. It's not popular. But you know what? If a church is going to hold to the truth, they have to be willing to preach the whole counsel of God. And we're thankful that White Oak Baptist Church has 40 years and three pastors who have not been afraid to preach on tough issues and preach the whole counsel of God. I just want to say this. Every institution, given long enough, one of two things happens to every institution. This includes Bible colleges and this includes churches. Every institution eventually dies or goes apostate. Every one of them. Every last one of them. What Baptist churches that were established in the 1800s and 1700s are still around today? I don't know of any. They all either die or they go apostate. One day, White Oak Baptist Church will either shrivel up and die or it will go apostate. We ought to rejoice and we ought to be thankful for what we have here right now in 2020. Boy, get on your knees at some point and thank God for what we have as a church family Here at White Oak Baptist Church, our cornerstone for truth. Number two, notice the characteristics of truth. The characteristics of truth. Look back with me at 2 John and verse number two. It says, For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and peace from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. As we have received a commandment from the Father. Hey, I think John is trying to make a big deal about truth. He uses the word over and over and over and over again in the first six verses. Well, what can we draw out of these verses about truth? Notice letter A, truth is divine. Truth is divine. Um, Look back at verse number uh, two there. It says, For the truth's sake which dwelleth in us. 
which dwelleth in us. We'll come back to that in a moment. And shall be with us forever. Grace be with you, mercy and truth from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. Anytime we find a reverence made, reference made to all three parts of the Trinity, we should take note. Which part of the Trinity dwelleth within us, believers? That's the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that truth dwelleth within us. Now, Jesus, when he referred to the Holy Spirit, oftentimes called him not the Holy Spirit, but called him the Comforter. John 15, 26, Jesus tells his disciples, listen here, but when the Comforter or Holy Spirit has come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth. Notice there that truth is divine. The Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, He shall testify of me. Jesus said about Himself one chapter earlier, John 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, the life. The truth, the truth. Truth is divine. And you say, well, is all truth divine? Yes, all truth is divine. If something is true, then it is divine. If something is not true, then it is an error and it is satanic. Well, how about God the Father? We know that God the Father is truth. Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, referencing the Father, that cannot lie. If he cannot lie, that means everything he says and does is true. God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Uh, ultimately, all truth is God's truth. Truth is from a above. It is not of this world. It is not what the crowd speculates something to be. It is not determined by opinion polls, nor is it discovered by public surveys. It is not grandfathered in by human tradition. Truth can be known only by divine revelation. God is the one source and sole author of truth. Sin is whatever God says it is. Judgment is whatever God says it is. Salvation is what God says it is. Heaven and hell are what God says they are in matters not it matters not what man says but simply what god says one word of what god says is worth more than 10,000 libraries of what man says truth is divine letter b notice truth is singular by the way romans 3 4 says let uh, god forbid yea let god be true and every man a liar uh, it matters far more what God says than what man says. Truth is divine. Let her be truth is singular. Go back to Second John and look with me at verse number 1. And notice here the article of choice. And, and to get technical with grammar, there are three articles in the English language. They are a, an, 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 and the. A, an, the. All right? And the word the is singular. All right? Uh, a would imply plural or multiple or a frag, an idea of something being fragmented. Look at verse 1 of Second John. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the singular truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Truth is singular. That is to say, truth is a single entity. It does not exist in bits and pieces of unrelated ideas or disconnected data. The Bible most often uses the definite article when speaking of the truth. Truth can never merely be a truth as if it exists in fragments from various sources. Truth uh, is not a collection of ideologies gleaned from detached sources. It can never be found in a study of comparative religions or competing philosophies. Instead, all truth is found in the one true God. Why? Because truth is one body of truth. It is always internally consistent. It never contradicts itself. Truth always speaks with one voice and is always in perfect agreement with itself. It is always in harmony with everything else it says, since each aspect of truth is congruent with the sum of its parts. Truth is singular. Letter C, notice, truth is absolute. Truth is absolute. Turn over to John chapter 18. And look at verse number 33. John chapter 18 
and verse number 13, or 33. Here we find Jesus, he's been arrested and he's uh, been tried by uh, the religious uh, phonies and he's been uh, uh, walked in front of Pilate and he's appearing before Pilate who has to basically sign off on the crucifixion for it to be official. And so here, Pilate is interviewing Jesus. Look at verse number 33. The Bible says, Then Pilate entered in the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it uh, thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Then Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. We see it's divine here, we see it's singular, and we see that it is absolute. Look at verse. Uh, look at the rest of the verse there. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Pilate said unto him, seeking to make truth subjective instead of objective, what is truth? What is truth anyway? And when he said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Boy, uh, Paul, or rather Pilate, was having a hard time with this idea of truth being absolute. Can I tell you, that's what Satan wants to do today, is he wants to muddy the waters of whether or not uh, truth is absolute. Uh, uh, you may remember a couple of years ago, Oprah Winfrey talked about uh, my truth versus your truth, and as though there can be two different uh, things that would be in contradiction to each other, and they both can be truth. No, truth is absolute. Uh, without God, there cannot be any absolutes. Without absolutes, there can be no objective, universal truths. Without absolute truth, uh, 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 rather, without absolutes, truth becomes subjective, relative, and pragmatic. Without absolutes, truth gives way to mere personal or cultural preferences. But to the contrary, all truth is absolute. Why? Because God is absolute truth. This means that only what is of truth is true. Everything contrary to the truth is a lie. Truth is exclusive, not inclusive. Truth is discriminating as it excludes what is not true. Truth is incompatible with and intolerant of all error. If all truth is God's truth, then all untruths are the devil's lies. The issue in our day is whether there is absolute truth uh, that uh, that is true for everyone, no matter who they are, where they live, or what they do. Many people say truth is whatever they want it to be. They claim that uh, what they believe is true for you and what I believe is true for me, even when the two are worlds apart. Something cannot be both true and not true. In such a worldview of self-deception, truth is no longer objective. All truth is universally true. There is no place where truth is not true. It is comprehensive, total, complete. Francis uh, Schaeffer uh, uh, maintains biblical Christianity is truth concerning total reality. That is, it exists without any exceptions. Truth is absolute because it is derived from the one God. Absolute truth depends on God. Letter D, notice, truth is eternal. Truth is eternal. Look back at First John, uh, or rather Second John, and verse number two. My mistake there uh, on the screen. Second John and verse number two. The Bible says, "For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever." Truth shall be with us forever. Hey, listen. If something is true today, it will be true. Tomorrow, If something is true today, it was true a thousand years ago. Why is the Bible so relevant today, even though it was written so many years ago? The reason is, is because truth is eternal. It doesn't go out of fashion. Uh, it, it, it will always be around and it will always be applicable. Uh, let, me, let me just share this with you. God does not uh, change and neither does His truth which cannot be uh, uh, his truth, which cannot be true today, but not true tomorrow. Truth is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Right is always right, and wrong is forever wrong. 
Society may try to redefine morality. Culture may try to reclassify its mores. But Jesus identifies himself as the truth, not the custom of the day. Truth is forever the same. The psalmist said in Psalm 118, 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And Isaiah 40, verse 8 affirms, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. The world changes, kingdoms rise and fall, but truth remains unchanging. Truth is permanent. Truth is fixed. Truth is established. It is unflexible, unvarying, constant, lasting, enduring, timeless, and unchanging. Therefore, truth is always relevant. It is always current, always contemporary, and always fashionable. Truth addresses the issues of the day with penetrating insight. It is never outdated, never obsolete, it never expires. Truth never tires, never wanes, never ceases to be true. Truth is eternal. Letter E, notice, truth is authoritative. Truth is authoritative. Truth does not stammer or stutter. It speaks with the supreme authority of God Himself. It always makes demands upon us and never offers mere suggestions. It never presents just one more option to consider. It is never intended to be simply interesting. It never speaks to tickle our curiosity. Instead, truth speaks with the voice of sovereignty. Truth roars with the sound of many waters, drowning out every other voice. Truth is commanding, arresting, and directional. It has the authority to order us. Truth must therefore be heard. It demands our undivided attention. We cannot pretend that truth has not spoken. We cannot act as if it will go away. We cannot live in denial of truth. It lays hold of us by the lapels and draws us close. It summons us and mandates our complete compliance. Truth is binding upon our lives. Truth demands our response. Likewise, truth possesses supernatural power. Jesus said in John 8, 32, Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. When received by faith, the truth delivers our souls from the tyranny of sin. Jesus prayed in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. The truth cleanses and purifies. According to Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, truth penetrates into the deepest level of the human heart, cuts to the bone, and works from the inside out. It has life-changing power. It converts, sanctifies, and strengthens. It conforms, transforms, and reforms. Truth renews our minds, revives our hearts, and redirects our steps. Truth has the final word in all matters telling us how to worship and how to walk. It tells us how to follow Christ. It is the final arbitrator of, on any subject. It is the final judge of every life. All people are measured by the truth. Every life is weighed in the balances by the truth. Every destiny, every destiny is marked by the truth. And so the truth will have the final say in every life. Truth is authoritative. We saw, number one, our cornerstone for truth. Number two, the characteristics of truth. Number three, let's move on and notice the contrast of truth and love. The contrast of truth and love. Everything I just shared with you, or most everything I just shared with you, under point number two was gleaned uh, from an article I found on truth. And so, if that did not sound like my style, it wasn't. But it was good, so I had to share it. Amen? Uh, the characteristics of truth. Uh, letter A, notice, truth emphasizes my position. Truth emphasizes my position. Now, uh, truth focuses not on feelings, but strictly on facts. Someone who is in hot pursuit of truth cares only about getting to the truth and nothing else. Someone who is obsessed with truth may often say things like this. They may say, my facts don't care about your feelings. How many of you... Feel that way. Your facts don't care about people's feelings. Okay. Um, here's another phrase that someone who is um, not heavy on truth might use. My facts may hurt your feelings, but my facts just don't care about your feelings. Um, now remember, truth out of balance may lead you to have the right positions, but may render you ineffective 
in your ability to convince others of what's right. I have four brothers, and so I won't use a name because they occasionally watch the live stream. They will know who I'm talking about, but for sake of anonymity and, and they come here and visit, I don't want you all to have preconceived ideas of who, is, who and who does what. I have a brother who is very intelligent. Uh, I don't think he's ever only one. Amen. Uh, the rest of you are dumb. Um, uh, I have a, a brother who is very intelligent. If he were to take an IQ test, I'd guess he'd probably score in the upper 150s or 160s. He's just very smart. and uh, he, he made straight A's. I don't think he ever made below a 90% on a quiz or test ever in high school. Just uh, very, studied very little, just, just whizzed through school. Very, very smart. And he has what I'll call the curse of knowledge. He's so smart that when he meets someone who has uh, an opinion that's just flat wrong, he doesn't have, or he, now he's, he's learned this with years, but when we were teenagers, he did, did not have, in young adults, he did not have the ability to sit down with someone and convince them. Someone would make a statement that in his mind was just so radically dumb, he would look at them and just start calling them names. He would say, you're stupid. You're just, you're an idiot. How can you think that? And you know what that is? That's ineffective. Now, he was right, and they were wrong. But he lost any ability to influence them. Sometimes we can be so consumed with truth that we lose our ability to help someone. Let me give you a biblical example of this. Turn over to Revelation chapter number 2. The church of Ephesus had this problem. They became so obsessed with being right, and even biblically right, that they forgot about the importance of loving God and loving others. Jesus would correct them on this directly. If you have a Bible with the words of Christ in red, you'll notice that Revelation 2 and 3 are almost all entirely in red. This is Jesus speaking directly to these churches. Look at verse number 1. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. You see the intolerance toward evil? You see the stand for truth? And how, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Boy, these, these Ephesians, those who were part of the church of Ephesus, they had a discernment. They had figured out truth, and they had labeled those who told lies as liars. Look at verse 3. And hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And here's the complaint against the church. Because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. This church had it all down. Their doctrinal statement was accurate and perfect. They were able to identify an apostate. They were able to identify false doctrine. And they were able to toss that out on its head and able to toss the apostates out on their heads. They had it down. But this church, while it had the position down, boy, it sure didn't have love down. In fact, it wasn't just a problem with their first love, the Lord Jesus Christ. They hadn't just fallen out of love with the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also had to challenge the church on this same thing as it pertained to their brother and sister in Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 15, Paul wrote, But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ. I can remember having this conversation with that sibling after he had called someone, you know, an idiot or whatever name he had used. I look at him and I'd say, Hey, Speak the truth in love. And he'd say, but they don't deserve to be spoken to in love because they're just dumb. And I'd say everyone deserves to have this, the truth spoken in love. Uh, some of you here tonight, you are out of balance.
because you care about facts and you need to get that back in balance with love. All right? Notice letter B. Love emphasizes my disposition. My disposition. So, um, a truth emphasizes my position. Boy, I have to be right. I have to find truth. I have to be in line with truth. Uh, love more focuses on people's feelings. Love or truth focuses on facts, and love focuses in on feelings. Now, does God command us to care about the feelings of others? Oh, yes, He does. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32 uh, says this, And be ye kind. Be ye kind one to another. My mother would come in and sing this song. We were fighting with each other. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. And she'd sing it all through again. I hated when she'd sing that song. <laughs> I don't want to be kind! And then when we were fighting hard with each other, she would sing it with... You know, a little attitude. Be ye kind one to another. I'd say, Mom, sing that song in a way that's kind. Amen? <laughs> Be ye kind. We, we focus on disposition. Now, those who are out of balance with love from truth, watch this. Watch this. They're people pleasers. They're willing to let someone live in error because they're afraid to confront them. Because they don't want to hurt their feelings. Proverbs. Proverbs chapter number 27. And verse number 6. Says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Hey, if I know that you're living in error and I never ever say anything to you, and I just let it go, you know what I'm doing? I'm setting you up to get hurt. Because I'm not willing to tell you. You know, um, in my life, I've had to pull people in and say some hard things to them. I didn't want to say. I've had to say things to people that deeply hurt them. And boy, I've prayed about that. And I've tried my best to do it with the sweetest spirit possible. But I've had to pull people in and my office or maybe off to the side before I was a pastor. And I've had to point out something in their life that was very wrong and I had to do it with the spirit of meekness. And boy, they did not respond well. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If I would have kept my mouth shut, the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, all of us here tonight prefer people's feelings, or the facts. So I want all of you tonight to take just a moment and think about which one, which one of those you land on. Probably the crowd is split 50-50, all right? How many of you here say, Pastor, I would be strong on the position. I am, uh, I, I am one who naturally emphasizes position, facts, truth. Would you raise your hand if that's you? You care more about Position, the disposition, all right? You can put your hands down. How many, and please, everybody participate. How many would say that you care more about people's feelings than you do in maintaining a good relationship than you do uh, 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 holding to a set of facts? You, you would fall more under love. Would you hold your hand up if you say that you? How many would say, I'm just not sure which one of those I fall under? Anybody? All right? And that might be good. That might be a sign that you're, you've learned to get yourself to the middle. All right, and that's the we'll get to that in a minute. But that's the end game is we want to keep those in balance. But all of us have a natural leaning one way or the other. Now, if you are, please listen, if you are here tonight and you lean toward truth, uh, people have to know the truth, then you need to get on your knees and ask God to take away some of that abrasive spirit. And you need to ask God to give you a soft heart and a soft answer and a loving way of speaking the truth to people uh, who maybe have a sensitive heart. And to those of you here that fall more under the category of love, well, we just need to love everybody. Can't we just all get along? You need to learn how, what it means to be confrontational and at times stand up for what's right and what, uh, what you believe, but, do, uh, uh, but be willing to step up and do that all the same. 
Number one, our cornerstone for truth. Number two, the characteristics of truth. Number three, the contrast of truth and love. Let's finish out the message in the book of Second John here. The combination of truth and love. We're almost done here. The combination of truth and love. What happens when we take truth and combine it with love? What happens when we get these two things in balance? Some powerful things happen. Now, in my refrigerator at home right now, I have a container of, uh, of chocolate. You know, the chocolate that comes in the bottle that you squeeze, you put on top of your ice cream, or you put into um, milk. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Okay, Hershey syrup, syrup, that's the term. Chocolate syrup, thank you. I know what it is, I just don't ever call it, I just go get it and use it, amen? Um, I have chocolate syrup, and you know what, it's very dense, it's very dense. I also have in my refrigerator a gallon of milk, a gallon of milk. You know, chocolate syrup and milk could not be more different from each other. They are two totally different uh, uh, items, all right? But what happens when you take chocolate syrup and you pour that into milk and you stir it long enough? They become one. You get chocolate milk. Now, is there anything more glorious than a cup of chocolate milk? Hot chocolate. Based out of milk. (laughs) My wife made hot chocolate for us right before we came to church tonight. Uh, chocolate milk. Now, watch this, watch this. When you can learn to take truth, that's dense, and love, that's the milk, and you can learn to combine them, and you can learn to be a chocolate milk Christian. You balance that truth and love, some powerful things happen. Okay, let me give you three things that happen out of Second John. John here is laying out for us what it looks like to be a Christian that has truth and love and balance. Letter A, notice, rich relationships. Rich relationships. Look back at verse 3 of Second John. Look at, look at here at the richness of the relationships. Grace be with you. Mercy and peace from the God of Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in Truth and love. You see how they are in balance with each other? Truth and love. I I want this to be said about my relationships. That my relationships could be characterized as gracious, merciful, and peaceful. Don't you want that? Then you have to be willing to walk in truth and love. Boy, this is what happens when you put them together. Now, by the way, sometimes when you step up to the plate and you graciously confront someone's wrongdoing, they're just not going to like you very much. And that relationship isn't going to be very rich. But you know why? It's because they don't have truth and love and balance. But when you put yourself around people who who are working to balance these things, and you're working to balance these things, what you're going to find are relationships that are defined by grace and mercy and peace. Letter B, notice, rejoicing leaders. Rejoicing leaders. Look at Second John, verse 4. The Bible says, and this is the elder, I rejoiced greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth as we have received a commandment from the Father. Hey, John said that when I look and I see Christians that have truth and love and balance, it causes me to rejoice. Occasionally, I'll hear of a church member who um, gets into an argument, I mean a big verbal argument, a berating argument with another church member. Maybe two church members get onto a, a, a Facebook thread, and I mean they're just tit for tat going back and forth and hammering each other and saying unkind things about each other or someone else. You know what? And oftentimes I'll pull them in and I'll say something to them and they'll say, But it was true! And I'll look at them and say, maybe, but was it loving? That doesn't make any leader rejoice. I also would say the opposite is true. When you have two people that just care about love, but can't seem to ever help each other toward the truth. I think specifically of teenagers. You see a teenage boy or a girl in, in high school, and they're 
their friend is dabbling into things uh, that are wrong and sinful. And that teenage boy or girl can't bring themselves to say anything to their friend. And they let them dip their soul in sin. Boy, when a pastor hears of that, you want to say to that uh, teenager who was doing right, why didn't you speak up and say something? But when you see believers in a church, when I see leaders in the church, when, I, when, when the deacons see leaders in the church, see members of the church that are walking in a balance of, of love and truth, boy, I'll tell you what that does for every spiritually mature person. It causes them to rejoice. Letter C, notice, righteous living. Righteous living. Look back at verse number 4. Look here. Look at the compliant attitude of someone who walks, with a, walks a lifestyle that has a balance of truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth. You see the righteousness there? As we have received a commandment from the Father, why are they walking in truth? Because it's been commanded of the Father, they're being obedient. And now I beseech thee, lady, I beseech thee, church, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had heard from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after His commandments. Uh, love, we, we love God when we are walking in truth. We love God uh, when we are uh, obeying the truth of loving our neighbor. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye should walk in it. Ye should walk in it. Here we find the infusion of truth and love. When we walk in God's truth, by default, we love one another. So God's truth is to feel His love, to reciprocate His love, and then to share His love with others. When we do these things, we end up living a righteous lifestyle. I want you to ask yourself this question tonight. Am I out of balance? I'll just remind you what Proverbs 11 one says, a false balance is an abomination unto the Lord, but a just weight is His delight. Are you out of balance? Are you so heavy-handed with truth that you're turning people off? Are you so loving and caring that you're not willing to confront sin and take a stand for what's right? Are you balancing truth and love? Lord, I pray tonight you would take this truth that we've covered you help all of us to evaluate how in balance we are or how out of balance we are. Or somebody tonight may need to take hold of the steering wheel of their life and get it back between the lines. Some are getting ready to run into the ditch on either side of the road of truth and love or are already in the ditch. Lord, help us not to only be right, but help us to be loving Lord, where we have error in our heart, may we seek out truth. Whichever side of the divide we fall on, may we work to get back in balance tonight. Lord, help us. Show us. Spirit of God, you reveal in our hearts those adjustments that need to be made. In Jesus' name.